We've been talking about our Fixer Upper series for a few weeks now. I believe this is the fifth installment of our Fixer Upper series. So uh, a couple things you want to pull out your sermon notes. Also, if you have the YouVersion Bible app on your phone, for those of you that are techies, I have the notes available for you. If you go to YouVersion, open up to the home screen, then go to more, and then select on the menu. You can see it right here, right? No. Go then mark down the third one from the top is events. If you'll push events right there, then you will discover some point, discover, search, buffering. There it is, Crossroads Bible Church and the notes for today's message. So you can click on that and follow through using your phone or your electronic device, whatever you use to open up the Bible. So let's get all of that out and let's open up to Nehemiah chapter 3. Nehemiah chapter 3, fixer upper. Quick background, remember Nehemiah hears that the walls of Jerusalem have all been torn down. They're all in disarray. It's been in a place of destruction and Nehemiah goes back home to rebuild. So today I'm going to talk about the rebuilding process and we're going to talk about what it takes to rebuild or to build from scratch. And maybe you're not building a wall literally today, but I'm telling you all of us are building something in our life. We're building our thought life, we're building relationships, we're building finances, we're building health, we're building mindsets and and all kinds of things. We're we're constantly building. We're working on something. Am I right about it? We're always working on something. So today I want to talk about three things that I found in Nehemiah chapter 3 that I think are important to building. So let's read Nehemiah chapter 3, not all 32 verses, mind you, I'm just... I'm going to be a little short on the context scripture, on the text scripture. I'm just going to be five verses, but we're going to use a lot of Bible for other things. So let's read verse one. It says, then Eliashib, the high priest, rose up with his brethren, the priests, and built the sheep gate. They consecrated it and hung its doors, and they built as far as the tower of of the hundred and consecrated it. Then as far as the tower of Hananel. Then next to Eliashib, the men of Jericho built, and next to them, Zechur, the son of Emri, built. Also the sons of Hassanah built the fish gate. They laid its beams and hung its doors with its bolts and bars. And next to them, Merimoth, the son of Urijah, the son of Kaz, made repairs. Next to them, Meshulam, the son of Barakiah, the son of Meshzabel, made repairs. Next to them, Zadok, the sons of Bana, Banana, made repairs. Just checking. If any of you have been looking for children's names and you found a few in there, (laughs) what what am I going to name my child? You're welcome. So there, as you see a few things here in the first five verses, this is all we're going to pull from, but this whole chapter of three is talking about how they rebuild the wall. So I'm going to talk about the rebuilding process. I'm going to give you three P's today. Three P's, I love alliteration, I learned that from English, I didn't pay attention to a lot of other things, but alliteration I I did pay attention to. There's three P's that we're gonna talk about. The first one you can write down in your notes is the word pattern, pattern. The reason we're gonna use pattern is because Nehemiah had a pattern for rebuilding the wall. Nehemiah, when he went back to rebuild the wall, there was a pattern, there's a way they were going to do it, there's a certain way he wanted to go about it. And I want you to know that Nehemiah had a pattern for rebuilding the wall, and God has a pattern or a blueprint for us to build in our life. God has a pattern. When God told Moses to build the tabernacle, he didn't say, hey Moses, just throw up a tent there in the desert somewhere. 
He didn't say wing it. When he asked Moses to build a tabernacle, he gave him a pattern, a specific way to build it. When David was going, wanting to build the, the temple, the Bible says that David gave Solomon all the plans, all the patterns that David had received by the Spirit to rebuild the temple. So God gave a pattern or a blueprint to build all of those things. And God gives us a pattern or a blueprint and how to build our lives. In everything that we do, God has a pattern for us to follow. He's got a pattern. Let me show you here in Titus chapter 2, verse 7. It says, in all things, everybody say all things. So in everything that we do, it says showing yourself to be a pattern of good works. Here's what good works is, what we do, the things we do. There's a pattern that God wants us to live by and how we do things. A pattern people to follow and what we do, our works. Our works should have a pattern, have a good pattern for people to follow, something to be looked at, an example of what we do. 2 Timothy 1.13 says not only our works have a pattern, what we do, but it says hold fast the pattern of sound words which you've heard from me in faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. So not only do we have a pattern for what we do, the Bible also says God gives us a pattern for what we say. He gives us a pattern on how to build our vocabulary. When I gave my life to Jesus, I had to rebuild my vocabulary. There were some words in my vocabulary that were no longer profitable to what God was building in my life. We'll try which side is following me back. See, that, there are some words that weren't going to build. See, Jeremiah says, this day I've put my words in your mouth to build and to plant or to destroy or tear down. So when he puts words in our mouth, then some people say, ah, oh, what you say, it doesn't matter. Well, Proverbs 18.21 says that death and life are in the power of the tongue and those who love it will eat the fruit thereof. So one thing he wants to give us a pattern is not only what we do, but what we say, what we say matters. He says, hold fast to the pattern of sound words that you've heard from me. He said, in other words, don't let your pattern of your words be what you hear from the world. Well, I, you, that means you're going to talk a little different than the world. That's okay. People's going to say, well, what, why do you talk like that? That's just crazy. Why do you talk? Well, I'm holding fast a pattern of sound words. And you're like, well, why do you be so picky about what you say? Because I'm building something. I'm building something. And if I use those words, those words will tear down what I'm building. Hold fast the pattern of sound words. That's what he's telling us. He has a pattern for that. So our vocabulary, every area of our life, if you want to be successful, we need to follow God's pattern. Look what Joshua 1, 8 says. I'm going to read this out of the New Living Translation. I like this translation. It says, study this book of instruction continually. Meditate on it day and night so you will be sure to obey everything written in it. Only then. Everybody say, only then. Only then will you prosper and succeed in all you do. God gives us a pattern to be successful and to prosper in all you do. I believe in prospering. Now, here's the problem. The word prosper has been totally misconstrued. You hear people in the church just bashing the word prosper because prosperity has been tied to material blessings and money. The word prosper in the Hebrew is a, is a word that means to push forward and to make progress. 
I believe God wants us to push forward and make progress. He wants you to prosper. Now, if you think prosper means dollar dollar bills, yo, then maybe you're going to be upset when you hear the word prosperity, but that's not what God says. He says, if you will follow my word and the pattern that I've given the Bible, in everything you do, you will prosper and you will succeed. What's successful look like? I don't know what it looks like for you, but I know what it looks like to God. You doing your best. That's what it looks like. I don't know what job it means. I don't know what salary it means. I don't know any of that. But I know when you're prospering and succeeding with God, you're finding your best you and you're flowing in what God's created you to do. So that's what he tells us. If we'll follow his pattern, we're going to do it. So we need to build according to his pattern. But here's the problem. I don't know if you've ever done this. How many times do we build the way we want and then we ask God to approve it? We don't follow his pattern. We just do what we want. Then we say, God bless it. God bless my day. Well, your day will be blessed if you follow his pattern. Maybe I'll try to see. See, it's like, it'd be like building a building, right? And, and when you're building that building, you say, I'm just going to ignore all these pesky building codes and permits because I don't think all those things are necessary. It's a little excessive all that insulation and stuff. <laughs> all that plumbing and I'm just going to bypass all of that. And then when the builder ins- building inspector comes to your building, all of a sudden he doesn't approve of your structure. And you're like, whoa, 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 what's up? Why are you against me? It's like, no, no, I'm not against you. I'm for you. You want insulation in your walls. <laughs> You want your sewer to flow downhill. You, I'm for you. The reason we put these codes in there is so that you will enjoy living in this building. The reason God gave us codes to follow is because we will find his best when we follow his pattern. It's not because he's trying to limit you. It's not because he's against you, trying to hold you back. I want freedom. I want to run my wiring however I want to wire. No, follow the code, baby. (laughs) Follow the code. Why? Because he's put a design in there for it to be your safest, best way to do it. And that's what he's talking about. That's what he, why he gives us these patterns. So we got to follow his code. Don't go against the building instructor. So that's the first P is the pattern. The second P is people. If you're going to build anything, you've got to have people. It takes people. It takes all kinds of people. It takes everyone doing their part. A lot of peace today. You've got a pattern of people doing their part. <laughs> Pickled peppers and stuff. I believe we're giving away pickles today at Freedom Rock, if that's a good promotion for that. You're welcome, Chris Boland. So now, now we see... <laughs> But we see the the next part is people. If you're going to build anything, everybody's got to do their part. If you're going to rebuild a relationship, people need to do their part. You know you can't control other people's part, but you can control your part. People's got to do their part. It took a lot of people to rebuild the wall in Nehemiah's time and a lot of people of different occupations. If you'll read through chapter 3, you'll find people from all walks of life building on that wall. And for us to build what God wants to build in our life, it's going to take people from all walks of life. If we're going to do what God wants done in the earth, it's going to take everybody doing their part. Look what it says in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10. 
says, God has given each of you a gift, each of you a gift. He's given each of you a gift. Each and every one of you has a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts. How many knows God loves variety? Take a look in the ocean at all the fish and you'll see that God loves variety. Don't be shocked when your gift looks different from someone else. Too many times we're trying to be cookie cutter Christians and look like and imitate everybody else when God gave you a unique gifting and he's asking you to just do you, bae. <laughs> just do you. Why are you trying to be somebody else? He's wanting you to do what he's given you to do. Every person has a gift, a variety of spiritual gifts. Use them well to serve one another. What are we supposed to do with our gifts? Serve ourselves, promote ourselves, exalt ourselves. No, he says serve one another. I wrote this down. God is much more interested in our availability than he is our capability. I'll say it again. God is much more interested in our availability than our capability. Many times we're disqualifying ourselves because we don't think we're capable. I'm telling you, there are many people that are just available that are getting used by God more, not because they're more capable, but because they're more available. They just say, show up and say, here I am, God, use me. They not, may not be as talented as the person on the right or left of them, but they just keep showing up and saying, here I am. Here I am, God. He wants to know, are you available? Well, God, be like Moses. Well, God, I can't because I don't do this. Well, I don't talk well. Da, 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 da. We go through all of our, our reasons, our, our, our disclaimer, you know, our list. <laughs> Lord, here's all the reasons why I'm not qualified to do anything significant for you. He said, I just ask you to be available. I can work with you. I created you with gifts, so just be available. He's concerned about that. So the, we want to be involved in it because here's another quote that I found. While no man or woman can do everything, let us remember that all people can do something. No one can do everything, but all of us can do something. So it takes people to rebuild a wall. Notice you'll see something here in verse 4 that I thought was very interesting. A lot, of, a lot of names in here, but it says, and next to them, Merimoth, the son of Urijah, the son of Koz, made repairs. Next to them, Meshulam. And then next to them, Zadok. Next to them, next to them, next to them. You know that word next to them means literally hide or hand to hand. So as you're building a wall, you're, every person was assigned a part of the wall. And you were to build your part of the wall. And that next to them means that wherever I stop building with my hand, there's another hand that's building right next to me. So that tells me is there's no gaps. There should be no gaps in what God's building in our lives. When everyone is doing their part, there are no gaps. But notice something, I thought this was interesting. He names all these people that are doing their part next to them, next to them. But look at verse 5. Next to them, the Techoites made repairs, but their nobles did not put their shoulders to the work of their Lord. Every person had an area of responsibility, and God noted, notice this, God noted every person who did the work on the wall. He put them in the word of God. He said, they're, they're, they're in the name. They worked right there. He also noted every person who did not do the work. Wow. Here's what God spoke to me about it. You can just meditate on it. He said, is there a wall with your name on it? Or is there a gap with your name on it? 
Are you doing what God's created you to do? Are you doing your assignment? Are you doing your part of the wall? Whenever heaven's records are read and your name is there, is it a name that's gonna be written and there's gonna be a wall that's giving you credit for what you built or will there be a gap that you get credit for? I say, God, I don't wanna get credit for a gap. Give me a wall with my name on it that I can work hand to hand, hand to hand with people right beside me. I'm not doing their job and they're not doing mine, but I want my place to not be a gap in the wall. When you all talk about your gifting, do you analyze what God's asked you to do? Is there a gap with your name on it? Something to think about. We wanna have our name built on, we need people. We need people to build a wall. Here's the third one. We've got a pattern, we've got people, Now we're gonna talk about some places to build. Places is the third word, the third P that we have, they're places. We're gonna talk about gates. There's 10 gates mentioned in this chapter three, 10 of them. I'm only gonna talk about two of them, don't get nervous. I'm gonna talk about two of them today because I believe there's two gates that we're gonna talk about today epitomizes everything we're doing today for Freedom Rock. So let's look at it here in verse one. The first gate, then Eliashib, the high priest, rose up with his brethren, the priests, and built the sheep gate. They consecrated it and hung its doors. The sheep gate. The sheep gate is where they brought all the sheep and the lamb through the gates of the wall to take them to the temple to sacrifice them. You're like, why are they killing all these sheep? Why are they killing these lambs? Well, here's, what it, here's how it worked in the Old Testament. I'll read a scripture to you to give you a little picture of it. Hebrews 9.22 says, And according to the law, almost all things are purified with the blood. Without shedding of blood, there is no remission of the sin. So what happens? They were in sin. Sin, the wages of sin is death. But the Bible says life is in the blood. So what would happen? To cover sin, blood had to be shed. So life had to cover death. So what happens, when they sin, they would sacrifice these lambs, lambs representing innocent animal, innocent blood. And then that blood would be applied and the blood would cover the sin. So they brought these lambs through the sheep gate. The sheep gate is where all this took place. Everybody came through the sheep gate and that's the first gate that they built. I wanna show you the significance. The sheep gate is a foreshadowing of Jesus Christ. It's a foreshadowing of who Jesus was. Because remember John the Baptist, he looked over across the way and he looked and he said, hey, behold, talking about Jesus, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Remember the blood of the lambs in the Old Testament covered the sin, but Jesus' blood didn't cover our sins, he removed our sins as far as the east is from the west. That's the power of the Lamb of God in the New Testament. So the sheep gate is a representation of what Jesus did for you and I. And they rebuilt this sheep sheep gate. It was the only gate, if you look here in verse, verse number one, it's the only gate that was consecrated. You won't find this word used for any of the other gates. Why was this gate consecrated? Here's what I found in Hebrews chapter 10. Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he consecrated for us through the veil that is his flesh and having a high priest over the house of God. So check this out. Here's the comparison. The high priest Eliashib, you see here in verse one, the word Eliashib is a Hebrew word that means God restores. 
God restores, that's his name. And he's the one who rebuilt the sheep gate so that they can bring the lambs in to reinstitute the sacrifices so sin could be covered. Are you following me? That's what Eliashib did. He was the high priest who built that gate. But now, and he also set up its doors. But Jesus, his name in the Hebrew means Yeshua, salvation, God saves. He was our high priest, made a new and living way and became the door for us. Notice what it says here in Hebrews and that verse says, therefore, brethren, having the boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus. I got to say this real quickly. See, the, the presence of God only happened in the inner part of the temple, the holy of holies. That's called the holiest. And as long as they sprinkled the blood on the altar, on the mercy seat, the presence of God would come. You follow me? So the blood needed to be applied before the presence could come. Notice what it says here. Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest, enter into the presence of God by the blood of Jesus. So now, when the blood of Jesus has been applied to the mercy seat in heaven, now that blood is not a one-time deal. That now we can enter into the presence of God, not just in a temple in one room, But the blood of Jesus has made it where you and I can now enter the presence of God in our shower. Having the boldness to enter the presence of God by the blood of Jesus. The blood of Jesus has made it where I can enter his presence in the car. The blood of Jesus made it where I can enter his presence wherever I am. That's how powerful the blood of Jesus is. Here's a picture of the sheep gate brought the lambs in so that they could have the presence of God. But Jesus rebuilt our sheep gate and became our lamb of God so that now we could experience the presence of God everywhere we go 24 hours a day. That's why they rebuilt the sheep gate first because it's about Jesus. He's the lamb of God. Notice what it says that he made a new and living way, which he consecrated for us through the veil, through the veil, through his flesh. In other words, you got to go through the cross, through Jesus. He is the one that we have to get access through to get into the presence of God. John 10 verse nine says this, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. Jesus became our door. There's not many ways to God. There is one way, and it's through Jesus. John 14 says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through the veil, except through Jesus, except through the sheep gate. We have to go through the sheep gate. Guess who the sheep gate is? The door, which is Jesus. We've got to build the sheep gate. And Jesus did that for us so that we could experience the presence of God. You want to live in eternity and experience the eternal presence of God? Then you have to go through the sheep gate. Well, Chad, I think I'm a pretty good person. I've never hurt anybody, never killed anybody. I think God's going to be favorable to me. And I think I'm probably going to go to heaven. I'm a pretty good person. No, you won't. You won't go to heaven because you're a good person. You won't go to heaven because you haven't killed anybody. You won't go to heaven because you're a good moral person. You will only go to heaven if you go through the sheep gate. You have to go through Jesus because his blood is what paid the price for your sin, for my sin. I have to apply the blood. It has to be the blood of Jesus. It's not about how good Chad Everett is. Chad Everett is not good enough to go to heaven. But if I will apply the blood of Jesus to my heart, Jesus was good enough to make a way for me. 
He rebuilt the gate to get to the presence of God. Come on, somebody. See, he made a way where there was no way. We couldn't get to the Father. Our sheep gate was tore down. But Jesus rebuilt the gate and said, Chad, I'm the way. I'm the truth. I'm the life. If you will come to me, you will be saved. So I'm telling you, you come through the sheep gate today. Come through the new and living way. His name is Jesus, the Lamb of God who took away all of your sins. Come through the sheep gate today. Come through the sheep gate. He rebuilt it for us. That's the first gate. And if you follow this story out, it's, it's the first and the last gate that's mentioned in, in chapter 3. And there's a reason for that. That you start, the wall goes around the perimeter and they start, they talk about the sheep gate and go around these other gates. And then they finish with the sheep gate. It's because you start and finish with the sheep gate. Because I am Alpha and I am Omega. The beginning and the end. Everything starts and finishes with Jesus. What did Jesus say on the cross after he hung there? And right before he died, he said, it is finished. Everything starts and ends with the cross. Jesus finished it all. Nothing else has to be done. We just have to apply the blood. Thankful for the sheep gate. I'm thankful for the sheep gate. And one, one thing I thought was also interesting about the sheep gate, if you follow all these gates and we'll see them, it's the only gate that they don't mention having bars or bolts on it. I thought that's curious. It's the only gate without bars or bolts on it to keep it shut. It's because the sheep gate is supposed to stay open, that it never closes 24-7, that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should have eternal life, should not perish, but have eternal life. And see, this is what the sheep gate, they kept the sheep gate open so people could come and go. And I want you to know the sheep gate is open 24-7 for people to come to Jesus. We've got to keep the sheep gate open. You've got to keep the sheep gate open for the person you're believing God for. You don't know when they're going to come through the gate. But if you try and lock it, say, well, they're too far gone now. I am sick and tired of waiting around for them. God never closes the gate on you. He never closes the gate. It's always open. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone will open the door, open the door, I'll come into him. The sheep gate. Love the sheep gate. Now let's look at the second gate. Look at verse 3. And the sons of Hasina, however you want to pronounce it, they built the fish gate. They laid its beams and hung its doors with its bolts and bars. There you see it. The fish gate. Now, what is it about the fish gate? It sounds a little fishy, I know. But I'll be here all week. So now, the fish gate. Here's what they did at the fish gate. The fish gate is where they brought in the fish that they caught that week. It's where the merchants brought in the fish to sell. So they, they would bring the fish through this certain gate because they had a market right there when you come in the gate, had a place where they could clean the fish and help those fish fulfill their purpose, which was to be eaten. They wanted those fish to, be, to reach a perfect place of fulfillment in their life. That is to be deep fried <laughs> or grilled, whichever way you like your fish. But they, they, this was the fish gate. So rebuilding the fish gate is about bringing in the catch. I want you to see something powerful here when we talk about the fish gate. 
after we enter the sheep gate for ourselves, the next gate that we come to is the sheep gate. Because after we experience the salvation and the love of God for ourselves, after we enter into the sheep gate, the next thing we're supposed to do is concentrate on the fish gate. And the fish gate is about bringing in the catch. Bringing in what God's wanting us to do. Bringing in people so that they can experience fulfillment in their life. Here's what it says in the Bible. Maybe you'll remember this verse, Matthew 4, 19. Then he said to them, Jesus talking to the disciples, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Fishers of men. They immediately left their nets and followed him. Notice what he didn't say. He didn't say, follow me and I will show you what, I will, what all I will do for you. Remember, this is the initial conversation between Jesus and his disciples. Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. He didn't say, hey, follow me, and I will make you an awesome person. <laughs> he didn't say, follow me, and I will make sure all of your dreams are fulfilled in ministry. Follow me, and I, make sh- I will make sure your career is everything you want it to be. Follow me. God did, or Jesus, and through, uh, <laughs> come out in Jesus' name. <laughs> Jesus did not sell them. You got to catch this fish gate. Jesus did not sell them on what he would do for them. He sold them on what they could do for others. Follow me and I will make you fishers of others. Follow me and once you follow me, we'll start focusing on other people. That was his opening line. Hey, follow me, and we're going to focus on everybody else. What about me? What about me? What about me? Right? What about all these issues I have, Lord? I got my own problems. I can't be focusing on other people. I got trouble right here in River City. (laughs) T runs with P, stands for pool. We got trouble. But see, sometimes just squirrels run out of my head, and I just get... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but it, isn't it, wouldn't it make more sense if God asked you to follow him and then he started telling you all the wonderful things he was going to do for you? I, I think that would be a better selling point, but that's not the way Jesus rolls. Follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. Follow me and we're going to start focusing on others. We are not called to be self-absorbed survivors of the world. Let me say that down here to the floor. We're not called to be self-absorbed survivors of this world. In other words, Jesus didn't say, I'm going to save you so that you can focus on yourself and survive so that you can go to heaven. That's not what he said. That's not where focus is supposed to be on. Look at what it says in Philippians chapter 2. It says, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look not out only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. Check this out. The best thing you can do for you, the best thing, you got to hear me and hear me here. The best thing you can do for you is to not let your life be about you. You better let that marinate up in your head for a while. The best thing you can do for you is to not let your life be about you. 
Don't let it be about you. Go through the fish gate. The fish gate says, no longer about me, but now it's about you. Because look what he said next. Look what he says, because there's two applications to the fish gate. Look at verse 19. Follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. So the first application to the fish gate is that we have to tell others about him. We're called to be fishers of men. So I'm going to ask you a couple questions here. Who are you telling your story to? He called you. He says, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. The first application of the fish gate is we have to tell others about Jesus. We have to tell others. We've got to tell our story. We've got to tell his story. You say, well, I'm not an evangelist. It doesn't matter if you're an evangelist. He says, you can tell your story. You can tell people how good God's been to you. So who are you telling your story to? Who are you sharing the love of God with? Well, I'm just not called to do, oh yes you are. After the sheep gate, fish gate. Right after you get born again, now it's time to start talking. It's time to start bringing in the catch. Start get, stop being a me monster and start focusing on others. I believe the Holy Spirit spoke this to me the other day. He said, Chad, I want Crossroads to rebuild the fish gate. And here's what he was saying to me. He said, I'm gonna start speaking to hearts the people that have stopped witnessing, stopped telling their stories, stopped inviting people to church. He said, I'm asking you rebuild the fish gate because there are lost and dying people all around our region that he is concerned about and we're just concerned about me, 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 me. Follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. Tell your story. Who are you fishing for right now? Who are you fishing for? Can I drop a bomb on you real quick? He says, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. Follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. If we're not fishing for someone, we're not fully following him. If we're not fishing for someone, then we're not fully following him. Follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. If you're not fishing, you're not following. Selah. Here's the second application for it. We're almost done. Second application is serving his kingdom. Look at verse 20, says they immediately, after he said, follow me, I'll make your fishers of men, says they immediately, everybody say immediately. <laughs> immediately, what'd they do? They left their nets and followed him. Their nets is the word I want to emphasize. They left their nets and followed him. The second application for the fish gate is serving his kingdom. After we experience salvation, the sheep gate, we leave our agenda, we leave our nets and we start following his agenda. We go through the fish gate. Here's what happens sometimes. People wanna go through the sheep gate, get saved so they can go to heaven, but they never go through the fish gate and make him Lord. They never, take their, they never leave their nets. They're trying to follow God while they're dragging their nets along. Do you know what nets do? They snag on stuff. You ever try and drag a net across the ground? Try dragging your net across the ground, see if it doesn't get caught on things all the time. Our agenda will hold us back from doing what God has created us to do. He said, leave your nets and follow me. To make him Lord, we're gonna to have to leave our agenda and follow his. So, <laughs> I thought this was cool. He said, follow me. Immediately they left their nets, follow me. Do you know following Jesus is not a one-time event? 
Following Jesus is not something you did when you were seven. It's not something you did when you were 12 or 13 or 25 or 35, whenever you gave your life to Jesus. Following someone is a lifestyle. It's an ongoing process. If I say I'm gonna follow you, I don't follow you for a moment, say, okay, thank you, I'll be on my way. That's not following. Following means I follow him the rest of my life. Follow me. Immediately they drop their agenda and they begin to follow him. Wherever he went, that's where, that's where they were, they followed him. When you follow someone, I was thinking about this the other day, following directions. If you're following someone, you have to trust them that they know where they're going. Have you ever followed somebody? <laughs> There's a lot of ways we could go with this story. I'm gonna keep it simple. You ever followed someone and you were sure they didn't know where they were going? You're like, there's no way they know where they're going. We should have turned right back there. I, I guarantee you, we should have turned right back there. How I many know we do that to God all the time? God, I'm supposed to turn, I'm supposed to, I'm supposed to stop right here. And Jesus keeps on going, no, I gotta stop right here. It's really good right here, Lord. I need to stop. No, I need you to move on. No, no, I can't move on. I need you to turn left. No, I can't turn left here. Are you kidding? I don't know where that road goes. Follow him. You don't have to know where you're going. You have to know who you're following. You don't have to know where you're going. You just have to be able to keep your eyes on him. If I'm following somebody, let's see you on the land long before GPS, when you had to actually stay with someone and you're trying to keep up with them, as long as you could keep your eyes on them, you felt secure. But you know those people you're trying to follow and they don't care about you at all, disregard you totally and drive as fast as they want to drive. Don't be hitting your person sitting beside you. But you're just, my wife's looking at me because she knows I'm not a good person to follow. Woo. So anyway, as long as you can keep your eyes on that person, you're gonna end up where you need to go. So I'm telling you, when he said, drop your nets and follow him, keep your eyes on him. Go through the fish gate, pick up his agenda, making him Lord. Lastly, how are you serving the one who saved you? Have you gone through the fish gate? Have you gone through the fish gate? Are you serving the one who saved you? Is there a wall with your name on it or is there a gap with your name on it? I wanna close with the story. Imagine, if you will, This is you. You have invited a friend. You're trying to get a friend of yours to go through the sheep gate. You've been trying to invite them to come to church. Weeks, months, maybe years. See, because once we go through the sheep gate, we have to serve others. How are you serving? Follow this in the story. So now this person's praying and all of a sudden they get a text message say, hey, tomorrow I'm gonna come to church with you. That person is ecstatic. They can't wait. And here's what they do. They're thinking about tomorrow. They're thinking, oh, I want everything to be perfect. You ever know when you had that person that finally said they're gonna to come to church with you? Maybe they're here today. And you wanted everything to be perfect. Oh, please don't let Pastor Chad be stupid today. Please. Don't. please. Whatever it is that you don't want to happen, please make sure there's good donuts. Make sure there's plenty of coffee. I don't know. But imagine you go through your head, you want all these things to be perfect because you want them to experience the perfect experience. You want everything to go good. 
I want anything crazy to break out, Lord. I just want it to be nice. And So imagine that person comes and, and you meet them at the door and you take them and you go back and there's no donuts. What do you mean there's no donuts? My friends, my friends here, where are the donuts? Okay, so you work through that and you say, it's okay. Okay, I'm not sure what happened, but normally there's donuts. And you give all the disclaimers to encourage them that there's normally donuts. But then you take them back and you take them back and they've got, she's got two young kids and you've been praying for them to come. And, and you're like, you're gonna love our kids' ministry. It's so fantastic. And you go back there and you go to take them to the class and you're pumped and you see a sign on the door and it says, sorry, the treehouse is closed today because we didn't have enough people to serve. Imagine the devastation in that person's heart when that lady that you've been praying would come through the sheep gate, couldn't go through the sheep gate because not everybody was going through the fish gate. So that girl who can't keep her kids in the service says, I'm sorry, I'm gonna have to go home and never comes back. The story is real. God asks us to go through the sheep gate. And he says, now I want you to go through the fish gate. Because in this gate, when you walk through this, it's not about you anymore, it's about someone else. It's about who are you serving? Is there a gap with your name on it? Or is there a wall with your name on it that I'm serving? I'm serving the body. That's why we say we want to attend one and serve one because we need every hand on the wall so that people can come through the sheep gate. We want people coming through the sheep gate. We want people walking through the fish gate. So we need you. The words of Jack Nicholson, we need you on that wall. We want you on that wall because we've got people that need to enter the sheep gate. So God said, Chad, I want you to rebuild the fish gate because I have built the sheep gate. So here's my challenge to us, guys. We're gonna go fishing today. Are you ready? You got your lures, got your bait. We're gonna go love on people. We're gonna show them the love of God because we want them to go through the sheep gate. We want them to experience the love of God, but we need everyone to be fishers of men.